What's up, everybody? Are you tuning in to the Challenge USA on CBS? Well, tune in to me, Tyson Apostle, as I break down each and every episode with my co-host, Amelia Wedemeyer. I'm also a contestant on the show, which gives you all the insider scoop. Amelia, how stoked are you to do this? Tyson, I'm freaking excited. I cannot wait to sit my butt down every single week to watch the show, then come here and recap it with you on the Ringer Reality TV podcast. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life. With premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Welcome back, everybody. Appreciate you tuning in. We gonna get into some politics today, y'all. We got a real fun guest. I first met this gentleman a few years ago. This is Love It or Leave It thing. He has a very funny uh, thing about that. And uh, he was, I guess, the lone, I think the lone GOP in the panel, but he was hilarious. He was real funny. He was kind of sitting in the audience slinging stuff was what it was going on. Uh, but uh, you may have seen him MSNBC. Of course, he's a writer for The Bulwark. And he's he's been in the trenches on the Republican side and has an interesting story to tell in his new book called Why We Did It. And we have a lot of questions about why we did it. <laughs> <laughs> the subtitle being a travelogue from the Republican road to hell. Tim Miller, welcome to Black on the Air. Tim, so great to have you here. Larry, I'm so happy to be here with you, man. So cool. And um, hopefully I can answer some of your questions. Uh, it's going to be, if it's humor, it's dark humor. Man. Yes. I'm looking back at some of this stuff. Man, I got to give you, pro- well, first of all, I was an instant fan of yours uh, that night. I thought you were hilarious. You Thank know? you. Uh, you were, cause I like people that can just sling them, sling them, you know, <laughs> it's like, they're not afraid of the room that they're in or whatever, you know, I thought it was really good, but this book is fascinating. It's, it's, uh, you know, and I'm just getting into it too. I'm bouncing around a little bit cause I want to absorb as much as possible for this, of course, cause I just got the book, but, uh, it's fascinating to me because, well, first of all, you're hilarious. Um, and congratulations. Putting a lot of pressure on me right now. Yeah. It's a big, <laughs> big fucking lead in. I was, you but, know. It's, but it's this searing indictment of yourself, which I don't know if I've seen before. Is that accurate? A searing indictment of yourself? Yeah, I'm pretty rough on myself. At one point, the editor told me that I could take off the hair shirt. Um, but yeah. uh, I was like, look, man, if I'm going to write... So the book is broken down into two halves, right? Basically, yeah. the first half is like Palin, essentially, to Trump. And, and yeah. that is the part where I'm, I'm indicting myself because I was, you know, at the, at, in the, in the deep stuff, uh, mm-hmm. from that, you know, basically from 08 to 15. And then I bail on Trump in right. 15, which is why I was even allowed into that love it or leave it room. You know, they're still throwing some tomatoes at me, but at that point I was, you know, kind of in good standing. I had strange new respect as they say, um, mm-hmm. back then. And so I felt like I wanted to be real because uh, there have been all these Trump books, right. And, and talking about all the crazy shit that's happening. You know, right. some people are like Trump's the best. Some people are like Trump's the worst. Mm-hmm. And I, I felt like what's been missing is actually like why all these people who knew better went along sure. with it, right? Like how, why, why drink the Kool-Aid? Yeah. There've been all these yeah. books like, like, oh, Lindsey Graham said this behind the scenes. Kevin McCarthy said that behind the scenes. Here's the secret audio. That's awesome. That's great reporting. But like, why are they doing this? And we all kind of think we know the answer, but I really wanted to, it caught me off guard because they were all mm-hmm. my colleagues. 
honest, you know? So yeah. I went back and interviewed all of them and, and I'm pretty nasty. And so I felt like if I'm going to be nasty to them uh, and impugn their intentions and motivations for why they went along with Trump, I got to be honest with why I went along mm-hmm. with some pretty gnarly shit myself. And so, so that's, uh, that's it, man. I just, I wanted the book to, to just be no BS, uh, both mm-hmm. about myself and about these other folks. Yeah, I grew up Catholic. I'm like, it's very Catholic. This mea culpa, <laughs> you know. I also, thing. I also grew up Catholic, and um, okay, and my, see, mother, my mother, my mother, my mother loved it. She's been loving all the reviews. Like one guy was like, he's a priest and a confessor, and like someone else said, this reminds me of the Jesuits, and I was yes, like, very and much. All so. that Catholic stuff was seeping in. I guess I wasn't. It's I never very Jesuit. Yeah. When did this the I guess maybe the uh, epiphany that this mea culpa had to take place when, as opposed to you just wanted to write about it. Like when did, when did that come to you? Because that is the soul of the book, you know, Um, did that happen more recently or were you thinking about this for a while? Well, so I went through some phases, you know, Mm -hmm. right after Trump. So I did oppose it. Right. And so like at Mm -hmm. some level there is like this, man, I was one of the good ones, you know, feeling initially in 2016 and then he wins and I go into a depression. Right. And so I went through a period of time for a couple of years where I was like, do I just give up on politics? Like, what do I do? You know, do I just do what these other guys did and suck it up and work for other Republicans? You know, Mm -hmm. do I become a mercenary? Do I become a shepherd? Like what the hell do I do with my life? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so that period lasted for a while. And then as we got up towards 2020, you know, I just through conversations with friends, I basically decided that a, like I was pregnant on this and I needed mm-hmm. to kind of finish the job. It's kind of a macabre uh, analogy, but, um, uh, I, I need to finish the job for atonement's <laughs> sake at part, mm-hmm. but also just because the stakes were so high. So I kind of got back into the game in 2019, 2020. We did a group called Republican Voters Against Trump that ran right. all these ads. Um, and so anyway, it was over the course of that time that I, I, I really reengaged. And after the tw- and, and after the 2020 election, I just I felt as if I was obviously happy that Biden won. It was much closer than I wanted it to be. Happy that he won or that Trump lost? Well, yeah, it was much closer to Trump. No, I mean, you're happy that Biden won or were you happy that Trump Both. lost? Both. I end up okay. kind of liking right. Joe Biden fine, right? And this is what I get into in the mm-hmm. book, right? Like, this is, this is, again, this doesn't look well on me, but I just want to be candid. I was a moderate Republican, man. I was a mercenary. I was a hired gun, you know, a hit yeah. and, and a hitman for hire, essentially. And I didn't hate Obama, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't hate Joe Biden. I liked John McCain and Mitt Romney marginally sure. better than them, but you know, sure. had things gone a little different, had I had you know had I had a mentor who was a Democrat when I was seventeen, I might have been a hitman mm. for hire for Barack Obama. I, you know, I just like it wasn't that. And there's a lot of people like that in the business, and, and obviously, I think that's very corruptible. And that, and so I want I, yeah. I, I get into that. So anyway, back to your original question, just really quick. Finally, after 2020, I say to myself, okay. I feel better. I feel partially the atonement is partially done in the fact that I worked for this pact to, to stop Trump, but I, I still don't mm-hmm. feel like I've really explored like all my right. culpability, what I was, what I did. And I still don't feel like I really understand why my mm. friends kept doing it. I just, I didn't have a, I yeah, kind of got it. And so, so the book is more about kind of finishing the job on the atonement and, and achieving some understanding about why people I thought were in this, you know, in the same boat as me went such a different direction. Yeah. Um, you treat yourself very harshly. I think maybe too harshly in some of this, but you know, that's what you want to do. And I get that, but I wanted people to get a sense of your journey too. Let's, 
let's go back. You started pretty young in politics, right? I was what a baby. Got you, what got you into politics? It's such a, how old were you when you first got into politics? Yeah, my first campaign was 16, and I looked 16. like I was 12. I looked like what? I was 12. <laughs> I swear to God, I, I didn't hit puberty. I was like just barely starting puberty at 16. And so, where I, did you grow I, up? Uh, Denver, Colorado, Denver. Um, you were in Denver. So, how does a kid in Denver get into politics at 16? Well, I was a nerd. So I I loved I loved it. I loved read I liked social studies class. I liked reading about it. My grandma mm-hmm. was really big into politics and so we would argue about it, you know, back and forth. Um it was something we had in common to talk about. Uh and and so I, you know, I enjoyed you know, speech class and model UN. I was a big model right. UN guy in high school. Yeah, very model you can UN. you can tell I was really I was sitting at the cool kids table in the cafeteria. Uh and um so basically I got lucky. Like I was a privileged kid. You know, my dad had been, sorry for the cliche, an up from his bootstraps guy, which kind of mm-hmm. affected my Republican mindset. He'd, he'd made a sure. lot of money on his own. He didn't come from a lot, but he made a lot. Mm-hmm. And so I didn't have to like go flip burgers in high school. I didn't have to go work as a lifeguard at the pool like my buddies did. And so I, our neighbor, why can't people be born into a good life like me? What's wrong with them? Yeah, exactly. They're too lazy to be born into a good life. <laughs> okay. I don't even want to, I don't even want to tell you the bumper sticker that was on my car. And then I was like, this is an honest book, but I'm not ready oh, I'm to give you the bumper sticker that. that was on my car. Larry, I was a, I was a bad boy. I was a bad wow. privilege boy at a prep school. I was a prep. Wow. I was a nerdy prep school villain. Okay. So you and were a douche. You were was, a douche. I was bag. a dude. I was a little bit of a douche. A <laughs> A little bit of a douche. No, not the biggest douche on right. campus. I wasn't cool enough to be right. the biggest douche on campus, but sure. I was like a little bit of a douche. Yeah. A little bit of a douche. And so so anyway, my, my neighbor knew this guy running for, for governor. And he was like, why don't you go intern? You know, whatever. You don't need to get paid. He's not going to pay you, but who cares? You can get experience and you love politics. And it'll be fun. So I started mm-hmm. doing that. And he wins. Or he wins his race when I'm 16 at, at like three in the morning by a thousand votes. You know, and I'm, I was also into sports. And so it's like this comeback. Mm-hmm. We we're down all night. It's like right. this two minute drive. This Very big comeback. I'm getting the rush. We're up on stage. You know, they're playing Sister Sledge and, you know, people are dancing and, uh, you know, they're doing Don't Stop Believing. And <laughs> I was hooked, man. I got hooked. Uh-huh. I know this is, this is a dorky dream. I get it, but I got right. hooked. And, and from there, I really, ju- you know, and then you make contacts, you make relationships. Mm-hmm. And I really got into this like, practitioner the politics of politics mm-hmm. um and and became kind of just like a campaign guy so did you go from it feels like to me you kind of had this idealistic beginnings but then kind of turned into a killer yeah <laughs> right yeah like like a hired kill now i mean i'm exaggerating but yeah. you know what i mean where your your idealism isn't at play at a certain point and you're just you're just in the game to win. I think you kind of described it like you, it was just about wins and losses for you at one point, right? Yeah. And even like less than winning campaigns, like winning news cycles, you know, right. getting the, getting like, getting that good front page story, you know, taking out the other candidate. You talked about the rage. What did you call it? The rage juice. This, rage, rage juice. You know, yes. just feeding rage people, juice. Feeding like, people what a little is bit of rage. That? You know, it's just that adrenaline. Yeah. Look, like this is, and this is, I try to get into this. Like, I don't, this is why it's why we did it, not why you did it, why I have to be so mean to myself. Because sh- I, my job, you know, I ended up going to the communication side of politics. So every day, it's like, how are we winning today? You know, like, right. how, what are we doing today to get, to get our guy good press or the other guy bad press? 
It's a lot easier to get the other guy bad press. We get your guy right. good press, right? Getting good press takes exactly. work. You have to do stuff, right? Like, and right. Getting you have bad to press accomplish something. Yeah, yes, right. <laughs> getting getting bad press for the other guy is easy. So I became really good at that, at the latter, at you know, getting working uh-huh. reporters, working relationships, and particularly in the conservative media where they wanted you know to do bad, you know, to spread bad information about the other side. So and some of that was the polite name was opposition research. Yeah, yeah. Right? Opposition yeah. research, what we call it. I started an opposition research company. It still exists. And it's like the bane on my Google search. Um, but, mm-hmm. uh, uh, you know, because I bailed on it over Trump. But anyway, one of the my theories here is now there are a lot of things that led to Trump, right? Like there are a lot of things mm-hmm. going wrong in this, the country, you know. And so this is not the whole thing. This is not the whole pie, right? But But this element of, man, if Fox News and talk radio and then eventually social media and even through the mainstream media, if every day you're feeding these people, you know, right. Hillary Clinton is evil, you know, Hillary right. Clinton, you know, did Benghazi, Hillary, you know, the, the, the people are coming across the border to rape your daughters because, mm-hmm. you know, the Democrats are doing it at open board, right? If you feed them this, the ground zero mosque, you got to be mad about this. They're disrespecting you. If you're feeding people with fake BS and I'm doing it tongue in cheek, the people mm-hmm. reading that, aren't in on the joke. Like they aren't in on the game. They aren't realizing that there's some douche like me who's just trying to win a news cycle, get a pat on his head from their boss. Like they're getting this news into their system and they're getting madder and madder. And so they have other things going on in their life that's making them mad in a lot of cases. It's animated by rage juice and you're creating rage juice. Yeah, exactly. People have these existing grievances. Some of them are legit. You know, I I think the wars, right? Uh, Economic struggles in certain communities. some, Some of that's legit. Some of their grievances are not legit, bigotry, you know, homophobia, racism, whatever. But but they've got these grievances and resentments, and we're just out there stoking it every day. Here's another thing to be mad about. Here's another, mm-hmm. or or on the other side, here's a thing to make you feel superior and make the other guys mm-hmm. seem seem terrible. And we're just giving you more and more of that every day. Like, should it then be that surprising that they wanted to turn to the guy? who is the best at channeling their grievance and rage, who is the best mm-hmm. at, 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 you know, making them being a big middle finger to the people they had learned to hate. I just, mm-hmm. I don't think so. Right. And so I don't think we're responsible for the racism. Like we're not responsible for, you know, everything that's going wrong in, in people's lives that made them mad, but we certainly are responsible for like ginning it up with a bunch of bullshit. And, th- mm-hmm. and that's what I really th- th- look back on and think, and feel gross about. So the gross feeling is not because when you were engaged in that, you knew you were engaged in a disingenuous activity. I thought right? it was cool though. Maybe not cool. I thought it was like clever. Clever is a better word than cool. I thought okay. it was clever, right? I, I remember one time a reporter complimented me. This makes me feel yeah. horrible now. They said, you know, you're really good at this because you give these puckish, you know, that, you know, the character from Midsummer Night's Dream. Puck. Sure. He's like, you're sure. puckish. He's like, you attack the other side, but it's kind of all in good fun. You know, you're, you're, you're good at like a clever attack. And I look back at it and it's like, God, I just, I thought, you know, I, I was, I thought that what I was doing, you know, was a really sk- skilled within this game of politics and that I, and that I was mm-hmm. good at that part of it. And, and like, I look back and think, man, like I was, this was doing no service to anyone. Like, you know, this was actually contaminating the water table because I, I might've been puckish, but the people reading it, they were serious. <laughs> right. They were fuckish. Yeah, yes. exactly. There <laughs> you go. Um, politics has always been a dirty game. You know, it's not like there's 
a new dirty tactics that suddenly changed the nature of politics. I tell people Caesar was stabbed on the Senate floor for Christ's sakes. You yeah. know, it wasn't in a, in a field somewhere in the dark alley. You know, Tammany Hall was famous for all its corruption and that type of thing. I mean, the politics has always been corrupt and politicians have always been corruptible. You know, there's always been the machine. Um, the thing that I always felt that was different about a certain period of time was Obama, you know, like, George Bush, in a certain sense, also because of 9-11 and because people felt that election was stolen or whatever words they wanted to use. You know, the left was on the stolen side during that one, you know, but nobody with the stature of a president was leading that charge, of course, you know. But the Obama thing was different. You know, it always felt like the right treated Obama as illegitimate to me. And that, to me, changed the game a bit more. It became more than just political fighting. It, like... Like, even me, I took that shit, like, personal, you know, yeah. serious. You know, I thought, this is this is a different game. This is more than just, you know, right and left or whatever. You know, that that cut that cut to something deeper. And I, I feel Trump came out of a lot of that type of of uh, back and forth. I mean, Trump literally what, did. What's, I mean, what say you, Tim? <laughs> yeah, Trump, literally, the birtherism. I mean, literally, he came out of the, the Obama rage, right? Um, so that's part of it. I, I guess I just step back a little more because I, I want to... You're making a point that's important to acknowledge, right? It's like, this is not... Politics being dirty is not new. I, here, I think right. that there are two things that changed, and Obama's kind of swept up in them. Number one is, what, what I really try to write about, because it's what I know, is like the culture of the political class like became mm-hmm. much more nihilistic over time. And maybe like this waxes and mm-hmm. wanes, maybe you go back to Caesar or whatever, there were other nihilistic periods. I'm sure there were. <laughs> sure, so, sure. Right? But, like, I'm being, if you look I'm at like George H.W. Bush, this was not a guy that didn't, that didn't do hard knuckle tactics. I mean, you know, head they, of the CIA, they, by the way, he was the head of the CIA. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah, this right. dude, they ran some tough ads. Don't get me wrong. Okay. Absolutely. But when he gets in there, he has this sense that like, I'm the president for everybody. Right. And, and so I have some obligations to everybody. And so he doesn't mm-hmm. live up to that all the time, but he's trying to. Right. And he actually mm-hmm. cares about that. And he, and he, you know, writes that nice letter to Bill Clinton who beat him when he lost sure. it. You know what I mean? There's right. just this McCain has that. Democrat Gore had that, obviously. Okay. There's a certain type of collegiality that always yeah. existed, even with the hyper partisanship. T- Tip O'Neill and Reagan were the biggest example. Yeah. Of that. It's not That's perfect, but it's right. different. What now right. has happened is that there's just this nihilism that is such that if you uh, look at the burn pit thing, it's just this prime example that happened yesterday. Yeah, it's like the prime example terrible. of this culture in my book. It's like these guys are just killing the veteran, the help for veterans on burn pits yeah, because terrible. they want to win one little. They have this exactly. little petty fucking fight. So they, their panties are in a wad because mansion yeah. a mansion ran circles around them, and, and so right. So this is what I'm talking about. And so in our campaign culture, in my life, increasingly beginning with Palin and going forward, and obviously Palin comes up at the Obama times. So this is not uh, mm-hmm. you know just separate from what you said. Uh, there just begins like the tactics winning at the game becomes becomes supreme on the Republican right. side, and like this notion that like we have to we have to you know be a president for all people is just haughty taughty bullshit. And like we convince ourselves that that's true. Lindsey Graham just said recently, he's like, I, I I look back on it, and I felt like me and McCain got on our high horse too much. Now I was like, Lindsay, your high Not horse enough. was the good part. Like when you were on the high <laughs> yes. horse was when you were doing good shit. Okay. Exactly. So, so anyway, so that happens. The, the explosion of partisan media, you know, uh, you always had rush, right. but like the difference between now is there's this kind of bubble that you can live in where, where sure. you're getting fed this rage juice every day and you don't even get Tom Brokaw anymore. Cause you don't even watch regular news. You just get Fox talk radio, social media, Facebook. Okay. Those two things happen. And then culturally, 
which I don't get into as much in the book. This is not as a white dude. Uh, it's not my area sure. of expertise, but I think it's true. This sense that like the white dominant culture sees Obama, sees the changes in Hollywood. All of a sudden it's like, guys like me aren't the heroes anymore in movies. We're the villains. You know, Obama's the president, right? Like this, that element, their, their internalized bigotry is comes out and it makes them want to punish the other side more than beat the other side. Right. So you just have this corrupt culture, the, the explosion of partisan media and this kind of the nicest way you can put it is, is a feeling of uh, demographic tension, you know, a feeling of losing mm-hmm. power, a uh, demographic lost power. And you put all that stuff together. And I just think it's been extremely combustible. And then Trump comes in and takes yeah. advantage of all of it. He preys on their bigotry. He's great at using the media and he's a nihilist gamesman, right? Like yeah. he's not at all like the old, old guys. So, so I just, we, this Trump was just kind of walked right into this, this environment that we were creating yeah, that I think mm-hmm. was perfect for him. Okay. When Trump first entered the fray or was about to, were you with that Jeb campaign? Yeah. Okay. So, so you were inside of the Jeb campaign at that point. So you hadn't, this is fascinating too. So you had that insider's view of seeing it from, from the person getting the slap. <laughs> getting bejowled. Yeah. Yes, yeah, we exactly. Uh, ex- Jeb exclamation point. That was the, after the slap exclamation point. Right? I wasn't responsible yeah. for the exclamation point, just for the record. I was responsible for some of yeah. the bad things we did, but not the yes. exclamation I thought it should have been an ellipse. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, what was going through your mind when you first saw Trump? Did you think, ah, Good luck, buddy. This is not going anywhere because your guy at the time, now people forget this. Jeb was like polling before he announced. Once he announced, it was different. But before he announced, he was polling pretty high, right? He was the clear favorite. Yeah. Our announcement day was a highlight campaign. It was great. It was, you know, it was in Miami, raucous crowd, kind of for Republicans, kind of a diverse crowd because Jeb did well with Hispanics, particularly Cubans. So we had this diverse crowd rocking polls are going and and you know everything lasts about one day uh until and trump then announces the next day the escalator down is the next day and so i'm on yes. with <laughs> the escalator down yeah. i love that yeah too, the racist right? escalator yes. yeah the, the watermelon yes. thighs whatever you're saying um yes. yeah that was the next day i'm on the phone with hannity i'm at the, i just moved to miami to work for job i'm at bed bath and beyond Standing outside Bed Bath and Beyond, I gotta get myself some sheets for my new apartment. Like we just announced the next day, and and we were supposed and, and and Jeb was supposed to do Hannity that night, and and Hannity's like I'm bumping him for Trump, and I'm like I just remember I'm calling him and I'm just like fuck you, Sean. Like what this guy's a joke. Like this is ridiculous. Mm. Like blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. I just didn't. I remember like. Uh, I forget if it was Jake Tapper. One of these other TV guys sent me an mm-hmm. old email I sent him from like the, the day after Trump announced where I was yelling at him like, you're giving this, he's a joke. He has no chance. You're giving yeah. him way too much attention. He was like, he's a right. president now. Smart, really, you're really on, smart on that one. So I thought he was a joke for about a month. And I don't know okay. exactly the timing. And I figured out that we were in real trouble when he lands that plane in Iowa. And this thing, right. and he's like, he lands his plane out. It's the Iowa State Fair. Everybody goes and gets a picture that. taken. He gets yeah. off the plane. There's a big press conference, and he starts being like, you know, Jeb is only nice to immigrants because his wife's a Mexican, and Jeb's low energy, and Jeb mm. and Jeb, and it was just, it was, it just eviscerated Jeb, just like over and over, punishing him. And yeah. I'm like watching the tweets, watching the news story, I'm watching it, all the coverage of it, and I'm going. Ah, I think we're, this is a different animal. Like this is a different ball game this yeah. is than we were. This is different than what we had signed up for. And so that, so I woke up pretty quick to it, but not, not quick enough. And he exposed something different during that time 
that I found fascinating, and I still don't feel the forensics of this has been talked about enough and wanted to get your take on it. So it wasn't just Trump that was doing something different, which was just baldly attacking people, being real nasty about it, and and not getting punished for it, right? Right. But the thing that was fascinating to me was it wasn't just Trump changing the game, but it was almost like quantum theory, you know? his act of observing the the electorate changed the nature of the electorate itself. You know? yeah. So when Trump made that comment about, I like my heroes who don't get caught or whatever. Captured. Said, yeah, yeah. Captured. Right. I thought he's done, you know, he's so stupid. How could he even say something like that? I thought, I thought he had a chance, but he's even more stupid than I thought. No, no, Larry, you're the stupid one because they didn't give a fuck. You know, that to me, that, thing that happened that's when i think the the cult of trumpism kind of started there because there's no way in the world tim where he should have survived past that moment with the republican party that you signed up for in the beginning and you did all the oppo research for those people those reaganites those uh you know i think that it's somewhat we're lying to us look leader so here's here's my you said i was earnest at the start and i got jaded i'm coming back around to get in earnest Mm-hmm. Leadership does matter, actually. And and, mm-hmm. and I think we learned this from Trump. Rhetoric matters, words matter. And like yeah. the fact that the the hatred, this underlying that 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 led people to get drawn to Trump, it's not like yeah. that just appeared in 2016. Exactly. A little bit, a little bit. There, he brought in some new right. people who who were kind of outside of politics who were attracted to that. But right. man, I saw these people in Iowa yelling at McCain mm-hmm. when I was working for him. I saw, we saw them at the Palin rallies, which were kind of pre-Trumpy, deplorable, you know, Confederate kind of monster truck rally kind of vibes, you know? And, um, and I, you know, I'm not old enough to go back to H.W. Bush, but I'm sure that there were some of the people there, but, but the people that were responsible, people who were res- relatively responsible, they made other mistakes in charge that were trying to channel people's anger, at least somewhat for good. And, and so I don't, I don't know that that he kind of changed the nature of. of yeah, no, I think yeah. he revealed yeah, more yeah. than he changed. He kind of revealed it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I have to revise that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. I think he he let's say he gave permission for people to be okay with those with those things. Yeah. You know, there was somebody because you're right. That leader gave them an opportunity to say, "Whew, you know, finally, I don't have to hold this part back." You know. Yeah, and this is the thing on my book. So we're to, you're talking about voters, but here's the part that really. This shouldn't have surprised me. And I'm sure some of your listeners are going to be like, man, you are a naive son of a bitch, Tim Miller. But um, I, so I'll go and interview all my friends that worked for politicians. And my, I wasn't sure. in the crew that worked for like, you know, the crazy wing nuts. You know, my guys were the Romneys and McCain's and, and of the world, right? So say what you want about them. Like my friends worked for all of those campaigns. And almost all of them went along with Trump. So for the book, I go interview them. And we have some beers and some, some of them are on the record. Some of them are off the record, but I just, I just, I'm like, just be honest. Like, what is it? Like, what do you see about them? And they give me a bunch of different answers. But the one thing that surprised me was, man, these guys hate you. They hate the media. They hated Obama, really hated him. Thought he's condescending. Like there's just this, this kind of undertone. Maybe that's an overtone of racism to it. They, they hated the uh, elites. They hated the people that want to wag their finger at them, the anti-PC crowd. There, there's just this well of dislike. And the guys that I'm talking about and women 
are like wealthy. They're successful. They're political consultants. They got beach houses. Mm-hmm. I'm like, what the hell do you got to be mad about? Like, why are you mad at Obama? And so, right. so anyway, I just think that from the bottom up, there was just this dark underbelly that mm-hmm. that was always there that that Trump just revealed, and and that was the thing that was a the most disappointing, but also surprising. I was like, I was like, dudes, who I thought were gentle guys, you know, girl dads, nice guys. We'd have three beers in it, and they just start ranting about woke culture and Obama, and like, how oh, what the fuck else am I supposed to do? I'm like, dude, really? Like, you're gonna go along with Donald Trump because you're you're resentful about whatever, like mm-hmm. you know, something somebody you know something somebody got canceled for. Uh, but so, uh, you know, just cause it's kind of silly and doesn't make it not real. And, and I think that was the thing that, kind of, that surprised me the most and gave me a like wake up mm-hmm. call to a lot of the stuff that I thought was like performative, you know, little cafe, little WWE, you know, I punch mm-hmm. you, you punch me. We pretend to get hit kind of like vibes and campaigns. Like a lot of my friend, my colleagues were taking that shit serious. Well, and you talk about compartmentalizing, like yeah. you're the king of that. I mean, you're, I guess was a, um, when when did you come out of the closet, I guess, formally? Because I, I suppose you were a closeted gay man during a lot of your early days working for campaigns. Yeah, at, between, um, so I did McCain and Rom between McCain and Romney. So I was out by the time I did Romney. Okay, but you still had to compartmentalize all of the rhetoric oh, yeah. that is being, you know, spewed against gay marriage and homosexual unions and all this type of stuff. What, what was the tipping point for you to say, oh, okay, I'm sorry, motherfuckers. I can't do this. Anymore. I, I wish I had a more, <laughs> a better answer to this. Like, because yeah, I, I worked for anti-gay candidates, like all the way up into 2013. I, you know, after the Supreme court, I remember sitting there, I was at the RNC when the, not, not the first, the DOMA overturn, not the, not the second, not the gay right. marriage, but the DOMA overturn uh, Windsor. And mm-hmm. I had to write, I had to help them write this statement. And I'm going, God, I felt so fucking bad about myself. And, you know, like Mm -hmm. we did this thing about Obama, you know, we didn't say gays are terrible, but the statement was like, you know, Obama's a hypocrite about this or, you know, some BS. I don't remember exactly what it said. And, and I just, I went and had a comfort shake across the street afterwards. And I was going, I can't, I gotta, I can't do this anymore. And so I felt like I told myself, this is compartmentalization. I told myself that it was not that I was one of the good guys. It was good to have me in there, right? You know, it's we need to have people, we need to have gays in there to kind of soften the language and you know that there's something to be said that I was out. You know, you you get things that make you feel good. I'm an out gay Republican, so I got all these messages from closeted Republicans. So like one advice, one help, right? So I felt like I'm doing a little good here, right? But man, mm-hmm. I'm writing that statement. I'm going, I'm not doing it. I'm just lying to myself. I'm not doing mm-hmm. any good. I'm actually contributing to my own persecution. And so, mm-hmm. you know, anyway, I, I use that to say, once I really reflected on that, and I like, I like put that in a little box inside my brain, I thought, man, it's, it's, it's much easier to understand then how people might go along with Trump and compartmentalize his stuff. Cause it wasn't even affecting them. I was compartmentalizing something that was affecting, you know, me, the most important parts of my life. I got a four-year-old now. Um, Absolutely. And, you know, so if I can do that, it's got how easy it is for them to compartmentalize the tweets. And so I'm doing these interviews and I find that they actually admit that over time. One, one guy mm-hmm. that I was talking to says to me, he's like, Tim, you know, they <laughs> like the woke culture is out to get me. And everybody's so upset at me. And he's like, I've got no choice but to compartmentalize all the things I don't like about Donald Trump and just focus on the one or two things I like. And I'm like, to to keep my career going. I'm like, dude, do you really need to do that? I actually don't think so. I I I think you could Mm -hmm. just go do something else with your talents. 
So yeah, man, I don't, I don't know. I, I don't, I look, I don't, I don't look back on it with any pride. Um, but, um, yeah, and you, the, the tricks, and this is what I hope that the book is about. And I hope some people can take away from it is like, there's mm-hmm. some universal universality to it. It's a book about politics, but like how easy it is to lie to ourselves, tell ourselves mm-hmm. comforting stories. Absolutely. You know what I mean? And be like, yeah, sure. Jim, you're one of the good ones. You know, look at, look at these two mm-hmm. gays that you helped because they saw your name in a press release or whatever, or look mm-hmm. at how you changed this little press release to make it 10% less homophobic. Like, aren't you helping? And, and obviously I wasn't, obviously that's ridiculous when you look at it in the light of day, but, but it's, you know, when you're telling yourself that it's easy to convince yourself. And a lot of the people I interviewed who went in with Trump, we're telling themselves very similar stories. So you had gone through that sort of self-humiliation, you know, let's just call it. You see, you from the beginning see Trump for who he is from the beginning. You describe in your book, which is one of the best openings of a chapter ever, of how let's say you said uh, nobody on planet Earth was more horrified by the notion of Donald Trump as president as I was. And you go into in more description of that. These are your words, Tim. And yet, <laughs> in no time at all, you are working to help uh, get Scott, per- you know, nominated as part of Trump's cabinet. What the fuck? Seriously, Tim, what happened? How did we lose you? Anybody who's still listening to this podcast is like, I I even wanted to suffer through this asshole's book. I'm getting it from the library. I'm not giving this dude one cent. And I would get that, man. You're like, you're coming at, you're coming for me. I deserve it. Um, Yeah. Look, so that's, this is my last corruption. And I I kind of compare, you know, you you know, that movie blow, you know, where just Johnny Depp, where he's like, he's out of the cocaine (laughs) game. He's out of the cocaine game, but he's he's being a good dad. He's taking his kid to school every day, but he's running out of money. He's like, I need that Uh one more. I need that one more trip. We're just going to do one more run. And it's the Fed setting him up every movie. Every That's the same thing. This was me, man. I think I'm out. They pull me back in. Yeah, like I thought I was out. And I hated him and I loathed him. I couldn't even look at him. I would, I would, I literally would not drive past the white house to work. I hated it. So I hate him so much. I stopped going to parties, but I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And, and, and I wanted to write about this because hopefully, and, and the, the nicest part about this book is I've had a handful of Republican staffers say to me, man, you shook me out of this a little bit because I was doing the mm-hmm. same thing you were, which is like, you're man, you got a career. Like, what are right. I, I, so I keep telling myself, what am I supposed to do? No, I, you know, nothing. I, you know, I don't have, a, I don't have a lot of other skills, um, mm. which is bullshit, but this is what you tell yourself. Right. And so it's just like, <laughs> Scott Pruitt calls me, he wants to be EPA administrator. And you tell yourself, well, I guess I'm not working for Trump. Really. I'm just working for his EPA guy and, and he needs my help and I can give him a little bit of advice and I'm depressed and I don't know what else mm-hmm. to do with my life and I need a job. And so I took it. And, and I, you know, I, I, the, the worst part about the book, writing the book, the best part was that I've, I've convinced a couple other people to quit their jobs. The worst part is that when I went back to look at my emails in my mind, I told myself I only worked for him for a couple of months just to kind of pass the time, but I did it for a full mm-hmm. year. I went back and I, wow. I was like, I was still emailing them for a full year. It's like, mm-hmm. fuck. And, but, but, you know, you just get on this career ladder. And, and, and again, to the universality, it's like, what do you do if you're a mid-level manager at an oil company and there's a spill? Or what'd you do if you worked at, you know, go, you know, the finance companies that were doing the subprime mortgages and the slap and the crash. And, and it's easy to tell yourself, well, I don't know. I'll just keep trucking along. I gotta, I gotta do my job. But, but for those of us, and that is true for some people who like need to put food on the table, but, but a lot of us, we're in the 2% <laughs> telling ourselves that we 
need to keep going in our careers, you know, because, Mm -hmm. you know, because we're just on this treadmill, like that's bullshit, man. It's just bullshit. And and I found out that it was bullshit pretty quick. And I, um, I'm feeling, I feel much better about the work that I'm doing now, but, um, but, but a lot of the people that I interviewed about why they went along with Trump, you know, are not sociopaths or not. There are some, you know, Mm -hmm. but they're not these hateful people. They're just people who are, who don't have the imagination and the courage to realize that they could just jump out and do something else with their lives. It's more meaningful. And you then became, I guess, a never Trumper. Oh yeah. <laughs> right. I mean, I was OG. Mark is, yeah, you're OG never Trump, but OG. you slipped, you slipped up, you I landed sl- in the gutter with that bottle of, of, of <laughs> Trump vodka in your hand. <laughs> <laughs> Pruitt vodka, Pruitt vodka. Okay, I didn't slip. But I was an OG. I was there day one. But <laughs> Didn't Trump have his own vodka or something? I think he did. Wines. He has, he's really pissed tasting wines he's got, and these like hard steaks. I don't know if you ever had vodka. Can you explain, and you do some of this in your book too, but what is this cult of Trump? Because it is different from just politics. We're in something different now. And I think January 6th really uh, both exposed and metastasized in both of those at the same time. You know, it kind of uh, crystallized it in both senses of the word, you know. Yeah. Uh, how do you describe the cult of Trump more than the politics of Trump? Yeah. Well, so the main character in the book besides me, I guess, is my friend Caroline, um, who was a moderate Republican like me, worked for John Huntsman. If you don't listen to him, he's like the squishiest, most moderate Republican of all time. Yes, I remember John Huntsman. Yeah, His daughter was on The View or something for a while, right? It's like, we like climate change and immigrants, you know, all that, all the stuff I love. Okay. I was like, oh man, this is one of the good ones. Okay. Yeah. He doesn't have a, he doesn't have a chance. chance. We worked for him. It was hopeless. But she went on to, I could just list them off, but you don't need to know them all. But they're, they're all, except for Lindsay, who went to the dark side. All the rest of her people all lost because they're all these rhino moderates. Okay. Mm-hmm. And so we we're good friends, really good friends. Like she's a good person. I, she, she cared so much about the Syrian refugees that she flies mm-hmm. on her own money to, to Germany to like help kids who are getting out of the train because she just was so moved by these images. And she had mm-hmm. like a free weekend. And so, I mean, this is not, Again, this is not a person that I that I thought was like a cruel person to be attracted to Trump, and but she gets sucked up into the Trump orbit. She's doing fundraising, and you know, mm-hmm. again, it's like this inertia. She's like, "This is my career. What am I supposed to do?" Then she starts to get in into the inner circle. You know, mm. uh, you know, she starts to get goes go to the rallies. They're very exciting. Mm-hmm. They're very enlivening, and so we have a falling out. And so I go to, so we do like eight hours getting hammered on tequila in Santa Monica. And I'm like, I just want to, I just want to start at square. Like, I want to start at birth for you. Like, how did you get mm-hmm. from here to January 6th? Cause she mm-hmm. ends up, she sticks with them all the way to the rally. She's on the, she's on the permit for the January 6th mall. Amazing. And it's Amazing. crazy. Like how does somebody like this, who is like a moderate decent person be the, or one of the organizers of the January 6th rally. And, oh, yeah. and so we just talk about it and, and, you know, we go round and round. And like the sad, like reality, like when you, it comes right down to it is I just found a person that was sucked up in the cult. It wasn't, you know, they, they tell themselves it's about the policies because like that makes mm-hmm. them feel better that like, well, he had these good policies on trade. I really liked, but that's bullshit. She just, mm-hmm. she had grown, you get this bunker mentality. And I think this bunker mentality is obviously the strongest among people in his inner circle, but it, it mm-hmm. extends to his fans, right? We're mm-hmm. like, these guys are out to get us. These liberal elites are out to get us. The media is mm-hmm. out to get us. The, you know, whatever, you name it, they're out to get us. And like, we're, 
you know, it's a defensiveness. Uh, like we're the only, only true Scotsman, right? Like we're the real ones. We're the, we're the real Americans. And, mm-hmm. and, and that attitude is not really to your point, policy oriented. It's this right. like tribal, it's like mm-hmm. a church. It's like a cult. Right. And and that's deep stuff, man. Like people's Absolutely. attachment to their tribe, to their identity. And, and for some Trump is now part of their identity, their tribe Absolutely. and their identity. That's way bigger than like, well, I'm for, marginal tax rate cuts, you know, marginal tax rate cuts, cuts shallow, right? You, you identifying as like, I'm a Trump person as part of your identity. Mm-hmm. That's, that's deep. And that's hard to pull people, pull people out from. And, and the saddest part, uh, I, I don't know. Uh, well, the book ends very sad, I guess, I guess for the people that want to go to the library and get the book, uh, they can, they can, <laughs> they can, they can, uh, scroll to the end and, and see how it goes. But, uh, but yeah, I don't, needless to say, I don't, I don't, I don't pull her out of the cult. I thought I got close, but I don't, it didn't work. Yeah. And I think, uh, a lot of times when the people who are on the outside looking in, we make the mistake of saying, how could somebody choose that candidate when I don't think they're choosing a candidate. I think they've chosen a side, you know, mm. and good. it's harder to change sides than it is to change candidates, you know? Yeah. It's like, good. Good luck changing a, somebody's side. Yeah, and think <laughs> about this. And so I write about this about a lot. The culture in, in among Republicans. So for some listeners, they're, they're like, this doesn't even even relate to them, right? Because they're like, the idea that a pop political party would be part of their identity is like as foreign mm-hmm. as anything. But for people mm-hmm. who are really into this stuff, obviously we'll work in politics, but also people who are like, you know, Fox News drones watching 12 hours a day, it becomes mm-hmm. part of your identity. Your 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 friends are all Republicans. Your text chain's Republicans. If you live mm-hmm. in DC, you go to Republican bars. I know multiple people whose yeah. kids name, name their kid Reagan, you know? Mm-hmm. And so, okay. So now you start to ask people, man, I don't need to just change and vote for Joe Biden. I, I need to kind of change who I am and how people see mm. me, right? Right. Like, good luck. I, and, uh, good luck. This episode is brought to you by Hyundai. What does your next drive look like? Running between meetings? Maybe a getaway with the whole family? Either way, the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the capable SUV that's built for your life with premium interiors, available wireless charging, and room for your whole cargo and crew. Okay, Hyundai. Visit HyundaiUSA.com to learn more about the all-new 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe. Do you think Trump can be elected again, like in the current environment? Are there enough? Let me ask you this way. See, this is so weird, too, because, and I know how a lot of times, uh, you know, there, there are two players in this, major players, Democrats and Republicans, and it's not like the Democrats have clean hands and any of this back and forth and all that stuff. They, they just do it differently and they have different issues. You know, I always think the, the worst thing to me about the current state of the left is they can't take yes for an, for an answer. They can't take yes for a fucking answer. You know, no matter what it is, they take it and just run it to the extreme. It's like, motherfuckers, you won that battle. You know, it's like, stop it. You know, but, and that to me is the worst of it. You know, yeah. just really quick, my observation yeah. of DC culture, which I think you'll appreciate is like yeah. the, the, there, there's no balance. Right. And this is not to create an equivalence. It's worse. The Republicans have become so nihilist that they literally don't give a fuck what happens to people. And they're just here to win. Right. But the Democratic campaign guys, their culture on the campaigns, especially for younger Democrats, is, is they're so pure. You know, and yeah. they care so much that their candidate yeah. does the right thing it's on the every opposite. time. Yes, right? yes, yes. That, that they like, that yeah. they like, won't even make a little tactical move. They, they won't yeah. even, you know, sort of modulate their language to appeal to more people because that's 
that's a, a, a you know, sure. offense. Right. And so, so there's, you know, politics is still a competition, right? Balance in all things. You Absolutely. know, man, like, like you can, you can be competitive within, within your integrity. Like I just, just really quick, this mansion thing that just happened. It's a great example of this. Like they just, they just shived Mitch McConnell. And it was a great, it was like an un, very uncharacteristic <laughs> democratic move. I mean, sad, yeah. sad turtle Mitch is coming up because, because they said they cut this deal and said, well, we'll only pass the chips bill and then we won't pass this climate and inflation bill. And so they cut this deal. They built chips, pill basses and Manchin goes, never mind. I'm going to pass the climate and anti-inflation bill too. That is good politics and it's good policy. It's helping people. Right. And so mm-hmm. you can be aggressive and also, in certain in a spirit of service within your integrity. And, and so sometimes I, I feel like the Democrats like miss that um, and, and just way overshoot on the other side. Anyway, I changed the topic. I forget where you were going. No, that's problem. okay. No, no, no. It's good to talk about this stuff. Um, but going back to this side, because I think what Trump has done and what the right have done, as much as I get frustrated at the left's uh, taking things too far, I'll call it, I think what the right is doing is destroying our belief in institutions and in even the authority of government, in the role of journalism, all these things that are important things in our country to have some respect for, you know, and to have certain opinions about. And the biggest one is elections themselves. They have, they are whittling away, of course, to Trump at the idea of an election itself, where it's going to be unnecessary to have an election. I mean, with the whole thing about, you know, sending false electors, you know, to Pence and these types of things and all these strategies, as you, nihilism is the right word, you know, where all of these things are just busted apart because the only thing that is important is for the dear leader to win. Only thing that's important. That to me is one of, is the most dangerous thing to come out of, out of Trump. Yeah. It's their stated aim too. It's not just that, like Steve Bannon literally says this. I'm, I, he says that he's a Leninist, yeah. not in the sense of, you know, he wants communism, yeah. but in the sense that I want to tear everything down and re and, and rebuild, you know, under our rubric. Um, yeah. um, but now, now they're not very good at building. Right. So, but, but tearing down is easy. Building is hard. Absolutely. Right. And so this is their stated aim. Do you, I think you're American exactly carnage. right at the institutions. And they're all going right at them. There are a handful of old timers left, but they're all getting replaced. If you just look at the types oh, yeah. of Republicans, they're gone. You know, they're the men of yesteryear. Clock is ticking. Yeah, all the new yeah. guys that are coming in are all on board with this. Um, this tearing down, and so this is another part of like for me that I what I try to do to get through to to people who can see this. You know, who who used to be Republicans or who are still even is is like. That is too, that is the most important thing facing us right now. Like I've, mm-hmm. I've changed, I've gotten a little more liberal on a few things, but like I haven't changed my views on a lot of stuff. I've changed my priorities, right? And these mm-hmm. guys are such a threat and such a danger right now. I, like there are really like end times, not, not global end times, but, but our democratic system end times, like that is possible. That would be crazy to say yeah. eight years ago or 10 years ago. I like, agree. Man, our entire system might actually collapse. Because like it happens faster than people realize. Yeah. It's a slow buildup, and then that shit can happen like that with the right circumstances. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that both on democracy and on climate, I just, like, these things are so existential right now that, the, like, all, a lot of the other stuff, even if I have a more conservative view on certain things, like, is, is like, just, just pales in comparison. And, and mm. unfortunately, I just think that there's a big pop part of the country that just doesn't see it yet. 
Um, some people like it, right? I think that the, the concerning part of the people who don't see it, right, or or who have, who have compartmentalized it. Uh, the you know the thirty five percent of people that are Bannonite, Bannonite, MAGA nationalist freaks, like they couldn't do anything if it wasn't for like the other ten to fifteen percent who who don't want to mm-hmm. tear everything down, but just have justified various reasons for going along with it. I always said my biggest heroes were Marx and Lenin, but. It- for me, it was Groucho and John. You know, so. <laughs> oh, Mark's brothers and the Beatles. That's where I stand in there. Uh, okay, very important question, Tim. All right, let's very do it. important question. Let's say your boy decides he is going to run, which you may have decided already. Which boy? Uh, you know, Trump. That's your boy. Oh, my boy Trump. Right? Okay. Right. I got a lot of boys. I'm kind yeah. of loving that governor of Colorado right now, Jared Polis. I was like, I was like, my boy Jared Polis? I don't know. I don't know that he's got he's got it, but okay. Keep, let's keep going. My boy Trump decides to run. All right. Your boy Trump, you know, uh, and he wins. Let's just say, uh, let's say he beats Biden. Let's say he, he does the equivalent of winning. He becomes president again, whatever that is. Um, we're fucked. Do you fall down? Can you fall down this rabbit hole again? Could I? Yeah. Like personally? I mean, you're saying it like it's impossible, but I don't know. I'm yeah, no, nah, dude, no, nah, I'm out. Um, um, I've got a clarity of purpose now, um, mm-hmm. and uh, and 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 I think that that was an important lesson from the book. Is like, man, sometimes this stuff, like you said, sometimes things take time, and not just in human change takes time too, right? Not just mm-hmm. institutions. And like, you know, I had a few backslides, but no, 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 man, I'm out. But but. And, and can some of these other guys? Yeah. Like, like they're already doing it. Like you're already seeing uh-huh. it. You're already seeing them justify it. I, you know, even people who spoke out at January 6th, Bill Barr, this is one of the lessons I want to take from the book is like, if maybe I can nudge some of these people from, from where Bill Barr is to where I am, like that's a win, right? Like, or uh-huh. to even a step closer to me, right. Is to say, I was you, you know, I'm just ahead of you by a couple of years in this process. Like, let's get over to, to, we got to stop this territory rather than we got to rationalize it. And cause a lot of enough, the people who love Trump are necessary, but not sufficient to get him back in there. If enough uh-huh. people who see him for who he is, just say, you know what? No, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get sucked back in this time. I'm not going to be in the bottle with Trump vodka. I'm not going to do it. Then he can be stopped. And, and, uh-huh. and like, that is like, those are the folks that I'm trying to get to, um, uh, with the book, but he can do it. And, and I think the the next term, man, he learned some things. He might be an idiot. He is an idiot, uh-huh. but he learned some things about staffing. And like, mm-hmm. and, and the types of freaks that'd be in there next time. And you thought that the mm-hmm. last batch of people that were around him were bad. Uh, uh, we're, we're at the bottom of a barrel of people uh, who would get mm-hmm. in there. And, and it, w- it would be some really scary stuff. Woo. Uh, any predictions? An uplifting end for you, Larry? Do you, can we talk about something <laughs> yeah, else? Can we talk about that? I'm feeling good about the nugget season coming up. Something I can think about some more possible. Any predictions? Um, uh, you know, I, I don't like. I think that things are get, looking a little bit better for the Democrats in the midterms. I, we'll see how the economy shakes out the next three months, but um, I still think they're going to lose the House. The Republican Senate candidates are insane. Doctor mm-hmm. Oz, Herschel Walker, this dude, <laughs> this dude in Arizona, and Blake Masters, uh, Ron Johnson. I mean, this is not. They are not sending their best. Okay, uh, in these Senate races, and a lot of these guys right. try to pretend JD Vance. They try to do the fake Trump thing, and they're not good at it. They don't have his skills. So mm-hmm. I, I do think that that um, the, the Democrats might be in better shape 
than they think than they think in the Senate. So that's my little that's my one little ray of hope for uh, for Democratic listeners. Well, see, that's what Republicans can always be relied upon to put crazy people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Herschel Walker, you'll never see the Democrats put up on Herschel Walker. <laughs> if anything, Democrats are always too smart. They're too smarty pants. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's their problem I did this big times. Herschel Walker <laughs> right up for the bulwark. I'm right to this website, the bulwark. Now it's like yeah. this never Trump centrist website. And I, I went back and watched all these old videos. And that dude, like as, as crazy yeah, as you crazy. think that dude is, you yeah, spend a few crazy. hours watching videos with him. Like he's got oh, voices in his heads. You yeah, know, you'll think, be dumber. By people are talking yeah. to him. I mean, you know, he makes Absolutely. like Tommy Tuberville and these guys look like you know, Aristotle. I mean, this dude right. is this dude isn't isn't working upstairs. Are you still a Republican? You still feel no, that you? No, I I wrote a very nice thing called "Goodbye to All That" for the Bulwark with a uh, you know Joan Didion shout out um, uh, oh, after after the election and and I've 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 been on this path like I said since about 2018 2019 but um but but after the the stop the steal stuff I felt that I, there's some kind of clarity that comes from being from just saying, no, I'm out of the game and I can see things as an out, like a little bit more clear, clearly as an outsider. And I felt like, say what you want about us, never Trumpers, we have our own problems, but like we have a clarity of that November to January period of how bad that was going to be. And I kept mm-hmm. saying it and Bill Crystal and all my people, Charlie Sex, all my people kept saying, this is really bad. This is dangerous. This is like, this is, this could, this is a fucking powder keg. And, um, and during that time I wrote an article that I was just like, the fact that these, quote unquote, good Republicans that even the ones that I like kind of still the Ben Sasses, like the fact that these guys can't even say no, stop, stop this. Fuck this. Now Joe Biden is the president. He won move on. The fact that they couldn't say it. I was just like, I can't, I can't even try like this is unsalvageable. And, um, you know, uh, for all the stuff I hit myself over the back on in the book, like I was, I had that thing down. Um, because mm-hmm. you know, obviously as January 6th happens, and then all of these guys that, you know, are supposedly the normal team, normal Republicans, all of them then come right, still go right back to him. And we mm-hmm. could be done with him. This is the most disappointing thing about all these people. And, and another reason why I felt like I had to write the book to try to hopefully move some of them. It mm-hmm. only took 10 more Republican senators and he would have been done. If you convict, if you impeach and convict in the Senate, you can't run again. And, you right. know, we'd probably, and, and every, and here's the thing. The Republicans would have been fine. They would have moved on to Ron DeSantis. The country would have been fine. Ron DeSantis is bad, but like not Trump bad. Like you know, they had the poison pill. They had the poison pill, (laughs) man, and they didn't give it to him. Like so. Anyway, no, I'm done. So worst case scenario, and I hope this doesn't happen. uh, The Dobbs decision, no matter what these uh, Supreme Court people say, and Clarence Thomas kind of alluded to it, has opened the door because they're kind of vanishing the whole privacy element of that decision saying it's, it was judged not very well, or it was argued not very well using issue of privacy, which of course was used in, um, in Obergefell, uh, the same kind of precedent of privacy, right? Basically 14th amendment. Uh, it feels to me that that definitely is the next target where gay marriage, even though, more people support it now than, I mean, just 10 years ago, it's breathtaking how many more people publicly support it. I've never seen that type of swing, no pun intended, you know, happen. <laughs> I don't even know if that's fun. <laughs> you know, yeah, you know, swing in that issue. way. But it feels like now there's a minority of people who might have that as their target. So 
You talk about a nasty circle to complete itself. Yeah. Um, well, my other prediction, I, I guess this will be finished by the time this airs, but I got, I got Jinx Monsoon winning RuPaul's Drag Race uh, tonight in the, in the fan finale, All-Star of All-Stars. So that's my gay take um, of the podcast. <laughs> yes. uh, I'm loving Jinx Monsoon. So we'll, we'll by the time this airs, people know whether I was right or not. Um, uh, and so that'll, that'll give you a little insight into my next, my next prediction. You know, you can decide how much to okay. trust me based on that. Um, I feel okay about gay marriage. I mean, you feel it, okay? it, there needs to be a fight. There needs to be a fight. And, yeah. people, and, and I think that and, and I'm worried about other gay stuff, like the kids at schools that don't say gay bill in Florida. I got a four-year-old, like mm-hmm. my four-year-old, you know, comes home with a, like, I love Papa and dad assignment. Mm-hmm. Like that's mm-hmm. that. If you get a, if you get a Karen in Florida now, you can, that, that Karen can sue the school over that. You know, mm-hmm. I, and it was a very poorly, it was a, it was a, it's a, a law that was aimed at, tormenting, you know, gay families and, and kids who, who are questioning their sexuality and gender identity. So, so that law is gross. And Ron DeSantis is gross. I just want to say that he's not quite as existentially dangerous as Trump, but he's gross as fuck. But, um, I don't, the gay marriage thing, I find it hard. I think John Roberts has flipped. So it's just kind of hard to see the votes mm-hmm. on that, I think. And I hope, and, and they could codify this hopefully in the next week. I don't know if they'll get 10 Republicans, but they might be able to contraception is actually, I think it's a closer parallel to the abortion thing. I could see these justices deciding that like, let the States decide what they want rules are on contraception. I think that's a little bit more. And if you look at the, the votes, now the house held votes on both standalone votes on codifying the gay marriage and the contraception and, and gay marriage got, I'm going from memory, like 30 something Republican votes and the contraception one only got like eight or something. I, you know, don't quote me on that, but, but there was a much more for gay marriage. So I think the contraception is, is, is closer than threat pers- personally. I think the gay marriage thing, I think that it's good to be vigilant, but my, my sense is that it's probably safe. Well, let's hope it stays out of this Trump rabbit holes when I'm calling you. <laughs> Tim, uh, guys, why we did it. It's both, it's darkly funny. It's, like very honest, Tim. I give you so much credit for, like I said, this mea culpa. There's nothing quite like it out there in the marketplace right now, and, and it's very insightful too. You just really learn a lot about, you know, kind of the backstage at some of this stuff, and it's and it's a hit on the bestseller list. It's selling books. I know. I mean, I appreciate you, and I appreciate you saying that. I, I just. I felt like the only way to do it was to be no bullshit. And so yeah. I, I hope people like that and get something of it. If you, if you decided based on Larry calling me a douche and a whatever <laughs> no, no. that you don't want to give me money, me. I get it. You got a nice <laughs> library. We can support our library system. You can enjoy it. You can borrow it from a That's friend. Right. I get it. No, no hard feelings. Um, but I'm doing my best to be the shepherd, to turn it around here and to do the right thing and hopefully nudge some people the right way. We love it. We love it. Keep fighting out there, Tim. Thank Keep you. Fighting the fight. Tim Miller, you guys, why we did it. Get it today. Thanks again, Tim. Appreciate you.